0: Welcome to Doctor and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, what we do here is we're a sports medicine radio show that tries to give you what's going on in the sports entertainment world from a sports medicine niche. And the reason we do that is I'm a sports medicine physician and have been for about the past 25 years, uh, currently working with Texas Sport & Spine. Uh, we, our show comes out of the Forge Training Facility, so we're actually here not only promoting sports and exercise uh, by talking to you on the radio, but we're also doing it ourselves here. It's a great show that we love to have you be part of in any way, shape, form you can. And so one of the ways you can follow us is on a, you can go to docsandjocks.com, and there's our website, and you can find out more about our show. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just go in to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, or you can follow us on iTunes on our podcast uh, there as well, just Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. I am joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is a longtime sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University. Ferris, got a great show today. Glad you're here, man.
1: Excited to talk about all things sports and sports injuries, especially the Baseball Hall of Fame, our favorite sport. They elected some new members. Should be fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah.
0: there's a couple of cool stories in that whole thing, and people uh, probably haven't heard yet. If you If you follow baseball and you heard it, the broadcaster talking about. i got a couple of cool stories about uh, the players that were elected. Remember, it's Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, and uh, Jim Tomey that maybe you haven't heard. Ferris has one about uh, Chipper Jones and I have one about Trevor Hoffman. So, going to be a fun show today talking about that. Obviously, got the Super Bowl coming up. A lot of things happen in the offseason. Got the NBA All-Star game going, so a lot of a lot of really fun cool stuff going on in the sports world. We're also going to have on coming up next segment, we're going to have on coach Hector Salinas and he's a really cool baseball coach that helps start numerous baseball programs including uh, Texas A&M Kingsville, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, along with multiple high schools uh, uh, baseball programs as well as junior college so he started baseball programs at just about every level fair so gonna be a lot of fun talking to Hector Salinas and his almost 60 year career in baseball that's hard to believe man I met him at a uh, youth sport event uh, baseball event my son and his uh, grandson were playing at and we hit it off and We talked baseball the entire time. I'm like, hey, let's get you on the air, man, talking about all your history and your wisdom of baseball. What a fun fun interview that's going to be. And then later on, we have basically the basketball version of that we're going to have on Coach Sam Ballard. Coach Ballard has been the uh, head coach currently at Mesa Community College, but has played professionally himself, has been in France, has been uh, really, uh, uh, once again, about a 50-year career in basketball. So you don't want to miss shows like these because you always pick up – Tidbits of wisdom that not only help you in life, but help your if you have sons that are going through this or daughters playing sports right now, or maybe you are yourself, man. These are the kind of guys you want to just pick their brains, and that's what we do here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Remember, you can follow us anytime, anywhere on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks. We'll be right back. You're listening
2: to Guy Talk live from the Sport Clips Haircuts Locker Room. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, My girlfriend beat me playing one on one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. and hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only 549. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked.
0: Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Doctor Dan in studio here with my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. I am a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, and we're talking about our sports entertainment world with a sports medicine niche here on Docs and Jocks. And Ferris, one of the things I want to start off our show by, I want to say, uh, send out a uh, our prayers and best wishes to the family of Steve Palermo. If you got to listen to that interview, uh, Ferris and I interviewed uh, Steve Palermo, who was a baseball umpire for gosh, 25, 30 years, and then he was uh, unfortunately shot while he was trying to stop a robbery uh, in uh, downtown Dallas at Campisi's Restaurant, and he uh, had a spinal cord injury, and he dealt with that, and we had had the fortunate uh, honor of interviewing him on Docs and Jocks about not only his life in baseball, but also his, you know, spinal cord injury and how he had overcome that. Well, we just interviewed him, Ferris, about a year ago. Well... Right after our interview, he found out that he had lung cancer and passed away suddenly. I did not know that. I'd actually called his uh, sweet wife to uh, get him on air, and she uh, was was kind enough to inform me that he had passed away. So I want to tell all our listening audience, man, uh, life is short. Uh, Live life uh, to the fullest. And uh, we're very sad to lose Steve Palermo. Really, uh, one of my favorite interviews we ever did on Docs and Jocks. And you can listen to that interview with Steve Palermo uh, by going to docsandjocks.com, or it's also listed on our iTunes podcast. Go back and listen to his episode. But, yeah, I want to send out a shout-out to uh, Steve Player. I liked him as an umpire. He was kind of flashy, and uh, yeah, he seemed like one of a, it was one of my favorite interviews. Did you love that interview too, Ferris?
1: Yeah, I, I remember Steve as an umpire. Um, yeah. It was kind of interesting because they didn't make the game about themselves, but when the managers back then, yeah. they allowed them to get more into it, and uh-huh. like they, he would go toe-to-toe with the Whitey Herzogs <laughs> and the Earl Weavers and the arguments. But it was still all about the game. I, he was a really good umpire, and then yeah, that interview was cool. I, you know, I it seemed like the cancer moved really fast like, when he found out about it, I and know. I don't know if that's if that's just the nature of the cancer he had, or if it had anything to do with his spinal injury made it go or whatever. But yeah, it's. Too bad. I mean, he's a great guy. Obviously, you tell the kind of character guy is, a guy steps in to try to intervene in a robbery. You know oh, I mean?
0: absolutely. He came on our show and talked about how he has a foundation that tries to help others with uh, spinal cord injuries. So, yeah, a great guy, man. But to go back and listen to Steve Palermo's interview. Well, he'll be missed for sure here on Docs and Jocks. Hey, uh, this is the Super Bowl weekend. Uh, you know, countdown coming up. And what? so, yeah, there's a game. There's a big game. This is a football game. What? Yeah, there's this thing called the NFL. It's pretty big and popular in our area, affairs. They never talk about, I don't about it know about Arizona, but in West Texas, we kind of like football out here. <laughs> So yeah, New England Patriots obviously going against the Philadelphia Eagles in the big game, and so a couple of the big sports medicine stories. Uh, I think I'll start off Rob Gronkowski, obviously the biggest one. We're going to talk about him. <laughs> man, we've talked about Gronk on every different body part. Man, his ACLs, his forearms, now concussions. And but let's go with uh, James Harrison first because I think it's a more interesting story. So the backdrop of this is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Basically, before the season, Harrison says, "I still have you know he's an, he's a, he's." Long in the tooth, man, he's an older football player, but he's been a beast forever. I mean, Harrison yeah. is one of those guys that plays his way. He's been he may be the all time most fine player for vicious hits, but he is a uh, large, large man that has the capability of changing a game. He did it in the Arizona Cardinals Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl game. really cost the cost of the game, cost the Arizona Cardinals a game by taking the, the fumble recovery and took it all the way down for a touchdown at, you know right before half. People forget, they always forget that and remember the great catch at the end of the game by Antonio Holmes or San what was his name? Santonio Antonio Holmes? No, wait a minute. San Antonio Holmes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so um, Harrison basically before the season tells the Pittsburgh Steelers, man, I got another I guess I'm still I got another year or two in me and I want to play. And they say they will play him and then they just go out pretty much benchy, man. Just he doesn't play much and he's disgruntled yeah. and it's obvious. Well, eventually he gets his uh wish and he gets cut and he is now part of the Patriots. And man, Bill Belichick can find dudes off the street. He he was he bull rushed a guy last week, basically picked up a left tackle and shoved him into the quarterback, man. That is not an easy task in the NFL. And he still has some legitimate playing skills and can change a game. There were a few plays last week when the Patriots needed the ball back and he did exactly that and got on the ball back. And I just say Kudos to a guy that's you know closing in on forty, and he's that good still. Man, it was awesome.
1: You know, I'm I'm always amazed. It's yet another thing that amazes you about Bill Belichick. And I I look at these coaches that are great for years, and they have a system and a philosophy and a way of doing business, and they're able to find guys and get them to buy into that system. And they don't ask too much of guys, and they don't ask too little of guys. They ask, they yeah. they like, hey, I know what you can do. Just do what you can do. And you always hear him talking about it. Do your job. Yeah. And trust that I drew it up right. And for Harrison, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers are probably looking and going, well, he can't do this, he can't do that, he can't do this, he can't do that. He's too old for that. He's too-. Whereas Belichick says, yeah, but he can do these three things. So to just do those three things, Yeah. and I'll put you in a position to be successful. And he talked about uh, Howie Long's son, Chris Long. He said, you know, Chris is doing great in Philadelphia because their system fits his skills better. In our system, we asked him to do a couple of things, and he was great for us. We loved him, but it's just a better fit. And so yeah. he really buys that. So, yeah, Harrison, though. He's the type of guy Harrison is. You know, he gets fined, all that stuff, and he does a Sports <laughs> Illustrated cover, and he asked the guy to come into his house and take a picture of him in his bedroom. Like, I think it was on his bed with all his guns laid out on the oh, bed. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. that's just kind of like, <laughs> just him, yeah. you know, F you to the commissioner. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. check this out. You think I'm bad? Check this out. Like, <laughs> that's has yeah. got a guy here.
0: Oh, you had to bring up Chris Long. I hate that guy. I hate him now because he tore my Case Keenum up, man. Made Case Keenum throw a pick sick last yeah, week. And they all in his they, face yeah. the entire time. Yeah, yeah, man. They all he, did. He looked good for sure. Yeah, speaking of great managers, and great coaches that have the ability to do that. I was watching uh, the Ken Burns special last night. Uh, this is what uh, a geek like me does I, I, on a you know a Thursday baseball. night. I'm watching the baseball Ken Burns special. Yeah. The 1950s, for whatever reason, is my favorite era to watch. Oh, watching it in a
1: hotel room. You were Kansas City. Yeah, and it was on ESPN's rerunning it. Oh, no, was, like, was it? Yeah. This is awesome.
0: I know. That's what I do too. And so I was watching. They were doing a special on Casey Stingle, considered one of the greatest managers of all time. I think he won nine pennants. In seven World Series in 11 years, I think's what it was, in crazy numbers. And he was kind of considered like a crazy little mad genius guy, Casey Stingle was, kind yeah. of like Bill Belichick is his own man. And Casey Stingle, they had Stingleisms, they call him, and he would say crazy stuff. But one of the things that he always did is he found guys at the end of their career. And he brought him over, and he just put him in a role. He didn't play him too much, but he knew that they had something left. And so one of the famous guys he did that with in the 50s was Enos Slaughter, who had been a great (coughs) Cardinals uh, player. And then he brings him over when everybody else had basically given up on him. And sure enough, he comes over, and he plays in a pinch-hitter role, and he's a stud hitter, and, and he's able to do what he does at his best for a few plays that helped the Yankees propel him into World Series. And I feel like that's what Bill Belichick does with these guys. He gets these guys that may have a year or two left in them, he says, "Hey, I'll, do, I'll let you do your thing that you're really good at. Maybe not play the entire time, but I'm going to put James Harrison in there because I know when it comes down to crunch time, if I've got to get somebody on the quarterback, James Harrison's going to do that for me." And sure enough, man, I thought it was a great call. But anyway, that's one of the great stories. And then the other one is a uh, Rob Gronkowski, man. I think the saddest part of the Gronk having a concussion, and he's a uh, word is the rumor is, is that it, he will absolutely be good to go. That was the quote uh, mm-hmm, that was given. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm and he's going to be you know he gets an extra week to, to come back from a concussion protocol so typically a concussion protocol is you advance through it in a week so to have two weeks is a, is a blessing probably the saddest thing about Gronk having the concussion is because of the concussion protocol he's going to miss media day and i don't know why
1: but it's like watching really?
0: yeah it's like watching a I don't know, a train wreck Why does maybe? he have to
1: miss media day?
0: Because he has to let his brain rest, Ferris. Come on, man. How many times have we been on Docs and Jocks, man? you got to let that brain rest after you have a concussion. So, And answering
1: ro- media questions is too much strain <laughs> on the brain. That's
0: one of the things that's in the NFL concussion protocol, that they don't have to uh, go in front of the media and ask questions because it might <coughs> be too much on his neurons that have been uh, shaken around. So Rob Gronkowski is going to miss media day. But I love Gronk on media day because you never quite know it's kind of like Coach Dave Hess, who does our strength and conditioning program here. We've had him on air on Docs and Jocks numerous times. You never quite know what's going to come out of his mouth. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, you just don't know. and it's, it's kind of a fun way to have a media day. I like Gronk on those things. Do you like listening to him?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think. Now I'm thinking that Marshawn Lynch... Yeah. Had he known, all you had to do to get out of media day was be in the yeah. concussion. He would have given himself a concussion yeah. before every Super Bowl and be like, I can't go, yep, I got a, got a concussion. Yeah. Lynch was yeah, just guess, he was just grumpy, though. Gronk just has fun with it. Yeah, he was kind of a jerk. Gronk enjoyed it. Gronk yeah. had a good time with it, right. and he never knew. Um, is Rob Gronkowski becoming the NFL's answer to Derrick Rose? Yes.
0: We were just talking about like, this. Vincent, our producer here on the show, we were talking about this before. He's becoming the uh, most injured man in the NFL. You know, you always have one, it seems like, in every sport. Derrick Rose in basketball, Gronk in football, Tiger Woods in golf. There's always one, it seems like, out of every sport. So, unfortunately, I think Gronk has taken that over between ACL ruptures and forearm fractures and nightclubbing with a cast on that then your forearm fracture (laughs) becomes infected. I mean, there's just – and then now we're dealing with concussions. So, I think Gronk has definitely taken on that. He looks like uh, Iron Man a little bit out there. In, you know playing the games with his giant brace on his forearm fracture that's had to have yeah. you know plating and then removing the plating, and then you've got the uh, ACL brace on and he's such a giant man anyway that the braces look huge. He looks like Iron Man out there.
1: <laughs> you assume. think you think uh, Bill Belichick is already plotting his next move because like Belichick was one of the first guys to start drafting big tight ends. Yeah, I mean you remember back ten years ago, Tony Gonzalez, Jay um, Novacek. Novacek. I mean, their teams had good tight ends, and it was like those teams were always really good. But they, they were – it was interesting. They weren't all over the place. And then Belichick got him and basically said, I'm not going to have worry about wide receivers. I'm just going to get tight ends, yeah. and I'm going right. to get mismatched. Right. He kind of did that with, like, running backs, old running backs and stuff, doing more throwing. Like, is he – what's his next move that he's going to do? Because it kind of oh, revolutions man. the game. Now, everybody who's good has to have a stud tight end, you know? This,
0: this has always been my theory. You know, the pendulum swings to where you run this real spread offense, so everybody spreads their defense out because of spread offenses. When is the next guy going to be revolutionary and go back to the running game where you do, you know, three yards and a pile of dust? You think that will ever become part of the game again, or is that just gone because guys are so big and strong up the middle? I mean, if you spread everybody out and the defenses adapt to that, why don't you just adapt back and go back? To the big bold running back, uh, you know you get the guys like Tony Dorsett or you know Walter Payton, those guys.
1: Right, just pound on the hand of the ball and, it, yeah. and run it. Nobody yeah, does run that it anymore. Like Twenty-five times a game. Right, because
0: defenses are set that's up. Rare. for Rare. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I don't know. That's it's a, good a question for maybe league, Coach so. Jesse
0: Burleson, our you know our go-to guy to with football take. questions. Cooper. Yeah, but that I don't know what the next innovation is. You know, we've had one of the greatest innovators of all time, uh, Coach Hal Mummy, who's who's. Uh, credited with coming up with the air-raid offense that really most of these offenses we see now that are wide open to spread. He was the guy that originally started doing that up in, uh, I believe it was Iowa, small school mm-hmm. Iowa-Westland or something. But we'll have to have him on what is the next innovation in the game of football because uh, Bill Belichick will be the guy that will come up with it for sure. Yeah, running Gronk somehow down the seam, you know, a giant man running down the seam against a linebacker trying to go up against him. Pretty tough. The Patriots the are not as good about him.
1: I want the wishbone back.
0: Yeah. Hey, but Danny Amendola took up for the the slack when Gronk wasn't there for sure. What a great second half he had. And we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. When we come back, we're going to be interviewing Coach Hector Salinas, one of the uh, longtime baseball coaches in all of college baseball. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks.
2: to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spies. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris.
0: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport & Spine. Great to have you with us today. Our show is coming out of the Forge Training Facility. That's where our radio show is hosted. If you ever want to find out more about the Forge, just go to the Forge Abilene and check it out. Man, we'd love to have you part of our program there as well. My co-host each week is Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, we are always honored to have on special guests. And today is no different. We have on a good friend of mine, Coach Hector Salinas. Coach Salinas has been... In the baseball coaching world, we just figured it out for the last 50 years five-0 so you want to listen to this interview if you want to have a little wisdom about coaching and baseball in general. He has started programs at every level of college baseball including Division one where he did Texas a and m Corpus Christi. he's done Division uh, two of Texas A&M Kingsville. he's done the uh, junior college level with Texas Southmost Junior College in Brownsville and he's also been a high school baseball coach as well. Coach Salinas, thanks so much for being on the, on the radio show Docs and Jocks.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yeah,
0: and, you know, take us back in time, Coach. I know you've basically been doing baseball your entire career, but you were born into a family. uh, Your dad was a baseball player. Uh, You come into a family, you're born in baseball. When did you decide not only did you want to play the game, but you decided you wanted to go into coaching? Take us back 50 years ago in that 1968 decision to become a baseball coach.
3: Well, actually, you know, I think that uh, that was something that – it was always in my mind, you know, either I was uh, going to be playing the big leagues, baseball, uh, or I was going to be a vet because I love animals. But uh, I was able to do both of them. Uh, I love dogs. I've got three, in fact. (laughs) But, uh, you know, when I first, uh, when we moved from the Valley to Corpus, I started playing Cub Scout baseball. And, uh, you know, that was just something that, uh, and that was about, I was about six years old. But the thing is, it's, it's always been baseball. Has been my life, you know. Little league, Pony League, Tiny Mac, and it just just happened. And back uh, when we when I first started coaching in 1968 here in Corpus Christi, we we had uh, back then they used to call it junior high, which was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And uh, and there there was a, a football, basketball, and uh, track in seventh. Same thing in basketball, but in baseball there was only one team. And so if you were good enough to play in the seventh or eighth grade, you you know it was only one team. And so I was fortunate enough. I was the baseball coach uh, at Tom Brown Middle School. And the two years that I was there, we won the city championship. And then I went to Miller High School, and I was there for two and a half years, went to Moody High School, and I was there for another five or six years. Then I went from there to Texas Southmore Junior College, and then I started the program at Laredo Junior College. Then I came back to Moody for another six or seven years. Then I started the program at Texas and Kingsville Division Two. Then from there, I went to Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and I was there another six or seven years.
0: Wow, what an amazing, amazing uh, history of starting programs. You know, a lot of people probably have had the ability to be a coach, but they come into an existing program. Tell us wh- what it's like when you're going into a program like a Texas A&M Corpus Christi or a Kingsville, and you're starting this program from scratch. What's your, what do you put together first? Do you put together your coaching staff? Do you immediately have to start recruiting on your own? H- tell us the pieces of the puzzle to get it all going.
3: Well, I'll tell you what. When I was at Laredo Junior College, uh, I had a tumor in my throat, and we had to take care of that. And so when uh, they gave me the job, they gave it to me in, uh, I would say, in deep July. And so anyway, um, I didn't have time to go recruit, so I called a friend of mine in Puerto Rico, and he sent me 21 Puerto Ricans, oh, and we ended oh up second god. in the state. Oh, <laughs> my <Ha, ha>, god, <laughs> That's a good way to do
1: it. So that's the trick, right? That's you the just trick. Yeah, call the Puerto
0: Ricans to get 21 of them and, and
1: uh, finish second in the state. Ferris, I think you had a question for Coach Salinas. Hey, Coach, uh, t- talk to me a little bit. You were an All-American pitcher, right? Was that, that Pan-American? Was that the old U- University of Texas Pan-American that's now UTRGV?
3: I'm sorry. It I was hard to understand that, but uh, I, I did. I went to Pan Am, and I graduated from Pan-American College back in 1968. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I had a little bad uh, situation there in the sense that uh, back then they wouldn't let uh, freshmen play uh, Division One. you know? You had to sit all out right. and play. Oh, yeah, year,
0: you that's right. Play. The Will Chamberlain so, rule,
3: yeah. And so, anyway, what happened my senior year, we were going to play University of Texas in the playoffs. And uh, and my coach, uh, you know, got all the guys together and, and he said, look, we had a situation here. And. Hector's not going to be eligible to play against the uh, University of Texas Longhorns, and uh, I made I was all American that year, and I couldn't play. You know, oh my God! So I said, Wow, you know. And so that was one of the bad situations I had in my life. But at the same token, you know, I uh, uh, it's been great. You know, I love what I did for all these years, coaching and playing, and and now I'm very blessed because all my kids and my grandkids they all play, so I'm having a great time
1: yeah did coach did you when did you know you wanted to, to be a coach uh i mean when your playing career is coming to a close or the whole time did you think i just want to stay in baseball yeah when did you know you want to be a coach
3: oh no that's that's something that was uh with me all my life all my life i always knew that that's what i wanted to do and and i think that um you know a lot of that comes from my parents you know my my dad uh you know and my mom you know they uh that was something that they always would love to share and help kids and help people and stuff. And there's something that I guess it was with me, but you know, I, uh, uh, in fact, all my kids are the same They're all helping kids trying to help them get to college, do everything. It's just something that I guess it's with me, you know, and it's with my family. But I knew since I was very little, that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a coach. No question about it. But I did have some good people that guided me. My little league coach, My uh, high school basketball coach and my high school baseball coach, they were great mentors. They were great people that helped me, that guided me, and that gave me a lot of the things that I do now as as a coach and as a person. And so I had some great people that helped me all the way through. And, And so now, you know, I do the same thing every chance I get. You know, I try to help kids, you know, and parents and just help them so they can succeed.
0: Yeah, you're listening to Docs and Josh. And we're interviewing baseball coach Hector Salinas, who's been doing this the last 50 years. And coach Salinas, you mentioned uh, getting to watch your uh, sons and grandsons and granddaughters play. Tell us about your uh, I know MJ, who uh, my son has played with him on, on the team, uh, the Prospects National Team, so they've been teammates. He just recently won the power showcase uh, event held in Tropicana which is the largest national home run derby contest in the world and your your grandson won that so tell us about him and your granddaughter who's playing at Duke right now
3: well I'll tell you what uh you know and I was there I was there when he did that and and it was unbelievable because uh you know he had to uh he had to win uh you know getting there so he can get to the finals and and there was another kid that had more home runs than him so but i asked my daughter you know said well whoever hits the furthest home run will also get invited to the finals and and so i said oh shoot then he's got a chance and sure enough that's what he did so he got invited and then in the finals coach how far everybody. was it coach he how far the was it guy. and he, and he also hit one about 480 feet i don't know he was, it was unbelievable <laughs> wow yeah
0: how how old is mj he's what 16 now
3: yeah, he's 16. And, and you bears. know And, you know, my granddaughter, uh, she's uh, the one at Duke. Well, she's got a little brother that's also 16, and he's also a sophomore in a high school here in Corpus at King High School. This guy has already been recruited by Oklahoma State, Duke, uh, Notre Dame, uh, wow. Stanford, Vanderbilt, <laughs> Florida. And, uh, and let me tell you, he is unbelievable also. And, and the way he got, this is the situation. My son took him to Duke because the coach from Duke was already I mean, they were already interested in him, they already knew and everything. So he went to go visit the campus. While he was there he asked the the coach, he says, uh, how about softball coach? He said, Well I'll introduce you to, to the softball coach and he did. And and, and and my son says, Look, my grand my daughter is at Ole Miss but I want her to, you know, maybe leave Ole Miss and he said, Do you have a video? So he showed him the video on the telephone and she goes, like, Wow. Well, right there, it did it. It came back to old Miss, got the uh, release, got the transfer. Now she said Duke. That's no. how she ended up at Duke.
0: And then your, wow. son, your son also, you were a great baseball player yourself, but your son then uh, goes on and plays for University of Texas and then has a professional career as well. Tell us about those years uh, watching uh, the Longhorns play baseball and your son, I believe he was a catcher, right?
3: Right. And, you know, that was really a, a great, you know, chapter in my life, you know, to see my son play there at UT and stuff and, and he had two great years there, but you know uh, he he was all state as a junior and as a senior in high school here in Corpus, and uh, so anyway he got drafted and uh, he didn't sign, so he went to UT and then played two years and he got drafted again. So he played with the organization the uh, with Tampa Bay, uh, Cincinnati, Baltimore, and 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 you know one year I saw Joe Ferguson who used to be the catcher for yeah, the Dodgers, right? And he was he was my uh, my son's coach. And, and he was coach at Maui in, in the Winter Bowl, and then he was his coach in the, when he was with the Baltimore organization. And I saw him in Florida one time, and I said, Hey, coach, hey, coach. And, and I knew that was him because he had a, a windbreaker that said Ferguson. And I said, You know, my son, uh, my son played for you. And he said, Really? He said, What was your son's name? And I said, Trey Salinas. Oh, man, you know what? That guy should have been in the big leagues, he said. He, I've never. He said he was this, and he said he went off. You know, and my son had some bad breaks too. But my son ended up playing in Triple A with Baltimore organization, and so anyway, then he went to play in the Mexican League. He made the All Star team there, and he beat everybody there. And you know how they have a, in the All Star games, they have different events. You know, throwing and this and that. Well, he beat everybody. The next day, one of those catchers that he beat was in the big leagues oh
2: man you never know <laughs> yeah. it's
4: so
0: so strange yeah, yeah the man. game of baseball
1: hey ferris do you have a question for coach salinas hey coach you've obviously been in baseball you know like you said for, from the, since you were a little kid has the game changed over the six years we talk about other sports and there's always revamping and changes do you feel like the game has changed that much over the years and what have been some of those changes if so
3: I'm sorry, I couldn't understand the question.
1: What, what are some of the changes you've seen in the game, and you know your 50 plus years
0: in baseball? What are some of the changes you've seen?
3: Well, there's no question. One of the things that's happening a lot is that now you know you've got uh, little league used to be very strong. You know uh, the organizations, Pony League, and things like that. But now you've got uh, the select ball. You know you've got uh, the traveling teams all over. You've got instruction all over. You know you've got indoor facilities, and, and you got all kinds of instructions. And uh, and so. Uh, That's the thing is that nowadays, you know, a lot of the parents are are traveling all over, you know, just trying to showcase their kids. One of the things that I'm really not too much for, and that's for kids traveling when they're six years old, seven years old, you know, I I mean, I'm not really uh, very strong on that philosophy because they're too little, you know, but I think that once a kid gets a little older, yeah, you need to go because that's how you're going to go get exposure, especially... If you're from South Texas, you know, we're so deep in South Texas that it's hard for the scouts to come all the way down here. Right. So anyway, uh, but still, South Texas is really now coming on as far as we've got good baseball kids and softball players, you know, so everything's turning out good. But, but other than that, you know, I, I just think that the year-round baseball, the year-round sports, uh, everything, basketball, football, it's year-round now. So, you know, there's no reason why, you know, the kids are not going to you know succeed. And I think one of the things that happens a lot is that, um, I think sports, what it really does, it, it, it keeps a lot of kids in a straight line, you know, keeps them in school, uh, make sure that they go to school because if they don't go to school and they don't practice, they're not going to play. So anyway, uh, no, I think that all this year round, it's got its advantages and I think it's got its disadvantages, but you know, cause a lot of times I feel like, you know, let a kid be a kid, let him enjoy, you know, you're only a kid once. And so anyway, um. Uh, as far as that, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, not necessarily teaching in those select teams. They go and play, but that's for exposure so that the people can see them all over the you know states. You know, and so no. But uh, in my case, you know, it's different because my son or my family, they take care of their kids twenty four seven. I mean, that's all they do. They live for that. And my wife says. Because I said, man, I'm very proud of these guys with what they're doing with their kids and all that. She said, yeah, they're doing what you did when your kids were growing small. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so anyway, no, you know, I'm, I'm 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 so dang excited. It's not even funny because you know both of my grandkids got invited to Georgia for that big old showcase, which is the top freshmen and sophomores in the country, and they both got invited to that.
5: That's so awesome.
3: man, it's 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 unbelievable. I'm still. I'm still in a, in a high. I'm that's in a right, high. That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm guaranteeing
0: you. Hey, Coach Salinas, we I, just have a minute here left. Let me let me ask this question to you because I'm sure there are people driving around right now who uh, maybe want to become coaches. If you could look back on your 50 year career, and I know this is hard with just a minute left, but give some wisdom or some advice to those young uh, individuals or those people who maybe are just starting yeah. their coaching career. What would you tell a young coach who's listening to you right now who's who did it for 50 plus years successfully?
3: Well, I'll tell you what. One of the things they need to do is they need to go ahead and just uh, try and be a sponge, you know, observe everything that's good that they can see. And, and and, and I did that everything that was good that I knew, Hey, that's good. I kept it. And, and if there was somebody that I saw that that wasn't good, I mean, I wouldn't use it, but try to use everything that anybody says or whatever. You know, I, uh, I remember Coach Guson in a, in a, in a, in a convention said, he said this, when you're in doubt, just get an out. You know, and I've always used that, <laughs> yeah. but the fact is that anytime, anytime you can get something that's good and you know that they're successful, hey, take it, put your pride aside and use it. It doesn't hurt. And you know what? All these young coaches, be loyal. Be loyal to your head coaches. You may not like everything they say or do, but you've got to be loyal because those are your bosses and you've got to be loyal.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Great advice. Hey, I want to say thank you, Coach Salinas, for coming on uh, Docs and Jocks. I do want to say uh, best of luck to your young uh, grandson as he goes to the Georgia Showcase and the top uh, sophomore in the country, as well as your uh, granddaughter who's playing uh, at Duke University, playing uh, outfield for them as well. So I want to say thank you to both, uh, all your whole entire family, actually, for all the years of baseball uh, you put in. I enjoyed uh, our time together we had in Corpus Christi, and hopefully we'll get You on the air again in the near future. We'll talk a little, uh, maybe a little pro baseball as spring training is right around the corner. Uh, Best of luck to you and your family.
3: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, after this short commercial break
2: listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin-Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris.
0: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. Great to have you with us today. If you're listening to our sports medicine radio show for the very first time, man, I want to say thank you for being on our radio show. Hey, you can always uh, listen to our iTunes podcast at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. You can always uh, listen to our uh, our show anytime, anywhere by going to docsandjocks.com as well. So, man, if you ever want to uh, be part of our show, you can also email us at uh, docsandjocks, and uh, just go to docsandjocks.com, and you can email us your question there. Be part of our show that way as well. Hey, Ferris, there was a a cool story that came out. I don't know if it's a cool story different. Sometimes, you know, we do the Sports Medicine Radio Show here. We talk about... ACL ruptures. We talk about meniscal tears. We talk about Tommy John ligaments getting ruptured, what you do for those kind of things. So I oftentimes kind of scour the news looking for, the sports medicine news, looking for different types of stories. And uh, this is probably one of the most unique ones we've had in a while. I've had some pretty unique ones over the years. We've had like, I think one of my favorite ones we ever did was uh, looking at ballpark menus and some of the worst items you could possibly eat from a health standpoint, at ballpark menus. That was that was one of my unique ones I liked. But here's a, maybe even beats that one. So U.S. sprinter Gil Roberts, uh, he he used what's called the passionate kissing defense to try and appeal his performance-enhancing drug uh, suspension from the World's anti doping
1: Association known as WADA. Did you just get that, Ferris?
0: Yeah. He used his passionate, passionate kissing, kissing, kissing defense. defense.
1: I didn't know it was a... I don't know. It was that it? Was a defense? But I'm, you know, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, and you've been to law school, so this is kind of right up your alley. So this is what he told. We the, didn't uh, study that. <laughs> you didn't study that one. Yeah, remember that yeah. one? Yeah.
0: So Roberts was suspended last May for a positive drug test for a drug called probenecid. Probenecid is a uh, a drug often used to mask for other drugs, popular drugs, and so probenecid actually is a medicine we use for gout. and also because it. Delays the uptake or excretion of uh, antibiotics from the body. It allows those to stay in the system longer. So you can use it to enhance the uh, antibiotic effect of certain antibiotics like penicillin. And so, but it's used in the performance anti drug world to block uh, positive drug tests by the, those drugs not being released. So it's a, it's a masker, they call it a masking agent. His defense was to say that the reason he tested positive for prob- Probenicid was not that he had taken it, ingested it himself. But he, his girlfriend, they kissed passionately and frequently, and she had taken the drug, and that's why it tested positive in him. So Roberts was a gold medal winner back in 2016 at Rio in the men's 4x400. You are the kind of guy that always finds these scenes kind of, you're a little bit skeptical, you're a little bit of a conspirist. Give me your take. Do you think Gil Roberts truly kissed his girlfriend passionately enough and frequently enough? That he tested positive for a performance-enhancing masker, or is this all just a sham?
1: Well, Gil is 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 a young, good-looking, you know, seemingly sounds like a heterosexual athlete. So I have no doubt that he passionately kisses his girlfriend <laughs> immediately after taking drugs to a, to enhance his performance. Yeah. it's not one or the other. I, I'm, I'm congratulations. <laughs> I'm sure you and your girlfriend have a wonderful relationship yeah. that You're everybody thug- no, that everybody now knows yeah. about. Uh, <laughs> Pay the price. Pay the price. yeah. yeah, that
0: is a unique story, but here is the deal. it's not this was not precedent setting. This has been out there before. There was a tennis player named Richard Gasquet. He escaped a lengthy doping ban in 2009 when he went before the International Tennis Federation. And the panel there ruled that he had inadvertently kissed a woman who had been ingesting cocaine. That he had kissed her at a nightclub, and that was why he tested positive for cocaine. And so, with these stories out there, I'm just saying, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. If you test positive for anything, and these two guys have been, you know, taken off their suspension or off their ban, why not always plead that? Why, why? Why would there ever be a time when you wouldn't yeah. use the? Because you're going to no, be, you know, you're, no, you're, you're no. young, handsome athlete out there, male or female. You're probably going to have. Somebody that you're, you know, having relations with at yeah. some level. And so you're why all, would you, you know, not always use that defense?
1: I agree. You're always going to plead not guilty. Yeah. Because all you got to do is get a little bit of doubt there. You know, this isn't this isn't this is a lot of this stuff is kind of beyond a reasonable doubt. It doesn't have to be without a shadow of a doubt. The, the, the bar, the level. Is like really is it more likely or is it less likely that this could happen or could this even be possible? You just yes. gotta throw that doubt out there.
0: But here's my little here's my little caveat. I have some advice for Gil Roberts. I don't know if he and his girlfriend, who he kissed passionately and frequently, are still together. But he almost got banned from the Olympics. He almost lost a U.S. gold medal for he and his other three four x four hundred partners. So because he was passionately and frequently in his in his quote kissing this girl, here's my recommendation for Gil Roberts. Yeah, no, definitely one less problem without you. What do you think, Farish? you think that fits uh, appropriately for Gil Roberts?
1: Yeah, I I agree 100%. 100%. (laughs) What was that song? I mean, I I know you're a big... uh, What's that TV show you like, The Blacklist? You like that show? Yeah. Remember the very first episode at the very end of it? uh, They played that song, uh, covered, uh, I think it's a Jay-Z or something. It's 99 problems, but the girl ain't one. In this case... He's got nine night problems and the girl is the one. That's <laughs> yeah, true. So that, get rid of her. Like you said, move on yeah. and we're good. It
0: is probably for the uh, guy that played uh, tennis that got off his t- uh, tennis band, probably not a good idea to be uh, making out with girls using cocaine in a nightclub the day before the night before you're gonna get tested for performance enhancing drugs.
1: It probably sounded like a good idea at the time, you know. Yeah that's, that's, <laughs> that's the lifestyle of twenty year old males, you know. It's a good idea right now, and the next day you're like That wasn't a very good idea. That wasn't a very
0: good idea. No, never, 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 ever, ever, ever a good idea to be making out with girls in a nightclub who are using cocaine the night before you're being tested by professional tennis to see whether or not you can continue playing and you're using performance-enhancing drugs. Now, (laughs) if you
1: have been using cocaine regularly, then it's a great idea to do that. Oh, I never thought of of that angle. i witness you do that. (laughs) This is why I have
0: the great Ferris Potter on the radio show. He thinks of these types of angles— I never even crossed my mind that if you are a cocaine abuser, you probably should be dating a cocaine-using female the night before.
1: Maybe who's been arrested for it, so there's a record you can point to. Hey, look, Roger (laughs) Clemens tried this, right? Yeah, delivered to my house, but it's for my wife. She's on the roids. She's trying to book up. I mean, (laughs) everybody tries it. Roger just wasn't smart enough to get away with it. These guys, guys had good lawyers, man.
0: Oh, man, yeah. So anyway, Gil Roberts and the U.S. Four-by-400 Olympic team now still hold the gold medal because the girl was using probenicid.
2: Do You,
0: I mean, do you think anybody's clean, really? I mean... They are so I mean. good now, Ferris. I, I would say that... Are there cheaters? Yes. Have the cheaters gotten really good? Yes. I would say that the World Anti-Doping Association has done a really good job or a fair job of keeping up with the changes. That's, the problem is if you randomly test versus known tests so you know if you if you're going to randomly test then people have to be clean all the time if you're going to test only on certain dates then people have figured this out how to use whatever it is performance enhancing drug they want to use anabolic steroids or whatever it is during the time frame that they can get it out of their system and then they can use yeah. masking agents like a or other ones that are out there and figure out how to get these tests clean yeah are there cheaters still yeah do i think there's as many as there used to be I don't think there's anywhere close to what there were probably in the late 80s, early 90s. So as far as uh, numerically, I think statistically we have cleaned it up as much as we possibly can. Just like anything, you're always going to have cheaters out there trying to figure out ways around the rules. And uh, it does help. That's why anabolic steroids and the likes have been banned because they are performance enhancing. You and I have talked about this many times. There is a slippery slope. We let people use... Uh, low oxygen tents to sleep in to raise their blood levels so they can carry more oxygen. We let people train at high altitudes because they'll raise the red blood cells by being in that low oxygen state. That's why we put our Olympic training center in high altitude because we know that it gives them a benefit. So how is yeah. that any different than blood doping right before you go into the race, which is just taking your blood, putting it in a freezer, you remake your red blood cells you lost, then you add back the ones that you put in the freezer, and now your red blood cells are higher so you can carry more oxygen. One's legal and one isn't. It's just such a, such right. a fine slippery slope. I just don't know exactly. We're all trying to performance enhance, right? That's why people do training. That's why people do oxygen, low oxygen tents. That's why well,
1: that's people why do GNC is multi million dollar deal. That's yeah. why there's nine billion types of whey protein. That and yeah. I get it. All that stuff is legal. Um, I even go back to you know. For baseball and things, because we talk about that. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, they're not getting the Hall of Fame. They would probably be first ballot or something Ball like that.
0: Mark McGuire's like some kind of a distant thought now. People don't even think of him. He would have been a first ballot he's still, guy.
1: He's on a major league bench now. He's yeah. Just, but yeah, but they let him back in. A Rod's now going to be the voice of Sunday Night Baseball, and he've admitted to doing it twice. I was going to
0: ask you about that. Yeah, you got you know? these guys who've known performance enhancing drug users who have admitted to it twice. Yeah. Got busted once, did it again. Now's the voice of Sunday, Sunday night baseball. McGuire is on, on. you know, he's in a major league dugout, whether it's the Cardinals or Dodgers or whoever he's with. But uh, do they really have an anti-performance-enhancing drug stance if you're going to say all these guys are allowed in? The only thing you're going to possibly keep them out of, and that's even a maybe, is the Hall of Fame. You know, we see Clemens and Bonds. I think they both got in the upper 50s or mid-50s this About year. 50%, yeah. Yeah. So it isn't like there isn't a chance that they get in, you know. Then you got the shadows of well, did I don't know? Did Piazza use? Did Frank Thomas use? You, there's just this big long shadow. You
1: just don't know. Oh, uh, Pudge Rodriguez, where it stops. David Ortiz. I mean, a yeah. lot of these guys that are going to be in the Hall. There's this this shadow of. Uh, we pretty much think they did, but we really don't want to know. Never tested positive. Yeah, they never. But Bonds never tested positive, right? McGuire did test positive. We all know he did it. Yeah, I mean. Let, it's like the OJ. I don't know, Ferris. He said he didn't up. know what was in the
0: white cream. It. He said he, he didn't know what up, was in the he did white cream. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. I don't but, know. No. It's such a slippery slope. The performance-enhancing drug bands. It's like you almost either need to say, "Open it all up. Let everybody have a heyday. The best chemist wins." You still got to have great athletic ability, or continue doing what we're doing, which is trying to grind it through and try and figure out how to stop these people at any possible chance you can. But even then, you. You have blocks thrown in, in front of your way where the Tupperware dish of yep. the urine sample of Ryan Braun was left on the table too long. And so he, he's found not guilty. I mean, it's just I don't know, Ferris. I don't know. I'm, I'm, talking, well, I, I'm talking. I think your answer here, is
1: but. this. That, I mean, that that's the, the fact that A-Rod is now doing Sunday Night Baseball. I think it'll be great. I think he does a really good I job. I do, too. I, I like him as him a good broadcaster. Yeah. I, I think he's rehabilitating his image. You know, I, I, I like him. Um, I think he was a great baseball player. People forget about that because his Yankee years weren't, but he was like unbelievable. He was like Carlos Correa on the on. I was gonna say on steroids to make a <laughs> point, but he was Carlos Correa on steroids. Yeah. Um, but it just it just once again goes to prove we fans of a sport, or whatever, we get really emotionally invested. At the end of the day, the people running Major League Baseball are trying to make money. Yeah. It's a business. Right. At the end of the day, A Rod's a great guy to have on Sunday Night Baseball, so he got the job. And that's 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 what it comes down to. The fans are always get the brunt of everything because we're emotionally attached to the team or the player or the thing. Everybody else, they just want to make money. Yeah. If you if you look back in history, when
0: the Maguire Sosa thing happened, when they were having their race and let's face it, we both now know that they were highly, 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 highly likely to have been using performance enhancing steroids. (laughs) Right. Even though they never tested positive. Mark McGuire's apologized for it, so we, he at least knows that he probably was.
1: I apologize for doing what you think I did, but I never did it. <laughs> did fully.
0: What? Yeah, I know. Okay. So, but that was a time when baseball was down. Remember, you're coming off the strike years. You're on what was 93, the strike year. People were pretty bitter at baseball. They were like, we're not going. We're not All paying right, your up. high prices. We're not paying for your new stadiums. You guys just go, go jump in the lake. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to find something else. Well, then you got McGuire and Sosa start hitting this home run derby thing, where it's you know they're they're going to blow Roger Maris's 61 home run record in a season out of the water, and suddenly what? Baseball revenue starts going crazy. They're, people are packing the stadiums. They're packing the stadiums for batting practice, much less games. So both of those guys, that race really took over the 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 whole whole nations you know, attention, and so then you got Barry Bonds who says, hey, I just went 40-40 here. I hit 40 home runs and sold 40 bases. Nobody's paying attention to me. Yep. I'm going to start hitting more home runs. I'm going to start doing what I know th- think these guys are doing, and I'm going to get even bigger and even stronger. So, you're exactly right. It boosted baseball's revenue. Baseball really has to thank Sosa and McGuire, and then Bonds a little bit after that for doing the things they did.
1: So, anyway. Yeah, bo- uh, Bonds was like, nobody's paying attention to me, and nobody's paying me what these guys are getting paid, you know? So, I'm going to go make some money, and I... It's hard for me to keep – I know he cheated. I, 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 I'm In my mind, I know he cheated. It's hard for me to keep him out of baseball, though, because for when he was in his heyday, he either swung it at a home run or he let the ball go by and it was a ball. So yeah. like, I've never seen a guy hit as good as him in my life.
0: He was a great player. He was a Hall of Famer before supposedly he started taking steroids. So, Anyway, hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. Stay tuned for our Mental Minute with the lovely Miss Tracy Mutton with the edge of mental strength. We'll be right back.
4: In his book, Mind Gym, sports psychologist Gary Mack states, Relaxation happens when you stop creating tension. Over trying leads to underperforming. I think that this is such a great quote because it states in simple terms a problem that many athletes deal with. Anxiety in sports is a very normal condition, but the elite athlete will learn to recognize it and then deal with it. Many young or unexperienced athletes fight their feelings of anxiety, and because of that, will oftentimes actually make it worse. Feeling anxious and over nervous can lead to tension and stiffness in the body. No athlete can perform at his best when his muscles are tense and anxiousness overtakes him. But thankfully, there are many simple techniques that can help athletes overcome this. Learning relaxation, breathing, and visualization can help even the most anxious athlete learn to relax and focus. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about dealing with anxiety in sports, you can reach us at the EDGE Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute
2: to docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris.
0: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us. Hey, remember you can listen to our show anytime, anywhere, by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. And there you can listen to our show at your convenience anytime if you're not in our listening. Uh, radio station uh, uh, listening uh, area, then you can listen to that anytime, anywhere. Man, I want to say uh, thank you to my co-host this week, Ferris Potter. Been a great show so far. And, uh, Ferris, we're uh, trying to get on your good friend Sam Ballard, a basketball coach with uh, Mesa Community College. Hopefully we get him on here in a bit. But if not, we'll uh, we'll uh, continue uh, talking about some of the things going on in the sports medicine news, including recent Hall of Fame inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Man, uh, Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, as well as Jim Tomy all got inducted to the Hall of Fame. I mean, will we talk about that, but I think we got Coach Sam Ballard online. So before we talk about the Hall of Fame inductees, let's go ahead and have Coach Ballard on. Hey, Coach Ballard, this is uh, Dr. Dan. How are you?
5: Doing good. How are you?
0: Hey, doing wonderful, man. I just wanted to tell our listening audience, Coach Ballard is the uh, basketball version of what we had on with Coach Salinas earlier. Basically, basically been doing basketball his entire life. He uh, not only played uh, in college, but also went on then and played professionally in France. And then he's become a uh, head uh, basketball coach now at Mesa Community College. Coach Ballard, thanks for being on the show.
5: Well, I'm glad to be there.
0: Yeah, Appreciate so, you having me on. Yeah, so Thank tell you. us about your basketball career. You starts off, uh, you obviously played yourself uh, at Lee Junior College, and then also you were, had a junior college awards there and played for University of Wyoming and then go on to become a professional player yourself in France. Tell us about your early college basketball days and how you got started in the game and what made you love it so much you became a coach.
5: Well, you know, I, I grew up in Phoenix at a time when Phoenix was really a small little city and uh, you know, there wasn't a there wasn't a ton of opportunity. I was more of a guy interested in baseball at first, then I I started to get tall. I went to a high school where they I was just lucky I had a great basketball coach and uh, kind of took me under my uh, his wing and uh taught me the fundamentals of the game and I just loved basketball because basketball was so uh there was so much movement you know you play offense you play defense you know there's no stoppage or not a lot of stoppage and it just was a fun game to play so really back in those days there wasn't a ton of stuff on tv there was just uh you know just had to love the game and uh when i got done with high school i was uh not recruited uh greatly i was about 6'6 but i was skinny And, uh, I wanted to play NCAA division one. I just didn't get recruited that way. And, uh, I ended up in Lee college in Baytown, Texas. Yeah. And actually I, there was an assistant coach at the university of Texas named Carol Dawson who, uh, came out and watched me uh, play in Phoenix. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't have a scholarship, but he had connections there in Texas. So that's why I ended up at Lee and, uh, you know, my first year was just so-so there. My second year, I was all-conference. And uh, I got a – like you said, I got a scholarship to the University of Wyoming. And my uh, dream of playing NCAA Division One came true, which was pretty neat. And uh, then, like you mentioned, I ended up in France. I was actually uh, – I, I was drafted by the Trailblazers. Uh, I went to the Trailblazers camp. and didn't make it. So that's how I ended up in France. Um and I thought I would go play there for a year and come back and try another team in the NBA. But uh, I just fell in love with France. Loved it. And, uh, you know, when you're an American over there, you get to play all the time. I mean, you don't sit the bench. You play.
3: Yeah. So they're not going <laughs>
5: to they're not, they're not, they're not bring you over there to sit you on the bench. So either you're good enough to play or you're not and you're gone. So I was good enough and uh, got to play and uh, met my wife there who I've been married to for almost 43 years and uh just um had a really enjoyable almost seven years there and then it was actually during my time at the university of wyoming where i really decided on being a coach you know i i kind of went into college thinking i was going to be a lawyer wow and uh but i had a you know kind of an epiphany epiphany uh when i was playing basketball and uh I said, you know, I really love this game. I want to stay with it. So, uh, you know, I decided to become a coach, and that's kind of how that went down.
0: And- 500 career wins later. Wow, amazing as a coach, 500 career wins. Ferris, I think you have a question for Coach Ballard?
1: Yeah, Coach Ballard, you you really had a, a family history, though, kind of like sports is in your DNA, and you kind of pass it on to your kids. I think your your mom's uh, was a softball player. Her sister was an athletic director, first female athletic director. Um, did you just kind of grow up and sports was just a part of everything that that the family did?
5: Yes, it really was. Uh, as you mentioned, my mom was a great softball player. She was, uh, she's in the softball Hall of Fame here, and uh, uh, she was actually one of those ladies they tried. You know, I know there, there's a movie called A League of Their Own. Yeah. Uh, they tried to they tried to recruit her for that, but she was really at the top of her game in softball and just said, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be a circus act. <laughs> and uh, she had a she had a great career and the first part of my life I was I just grew up in that and um I, I was a bad boy for the A1 Queens which was a great softball team <laughs> wow. here in the Phoenix area. And um as you mentioned her sister Barbara hedges was also a uh softball player in that organization Then went on to become the athletic director at the University of Washington, the first uh female athletic director of a major college football program and uh, her first year there they won the national championship with Don James I'm sure you guys remember oh yeah (laughs) Um, but you know like you said it's just been been part of our lives I mean sports has just always been part of our lives and uh, you know it's created so many great memories for us and we're trying to pass that on to our kids too and they're pretty much involved in it so
0: yeah, you mentioned that uh, earlier. Your son Jordan is now a coach. We've talked about this before, but he's now a coach as well. So not only uh, did you grow up in a family that was very sports minded, but now you're passing that on to the next generation. It has to make you proud to see your son Jordan now following your footsteps.
5: It really does. You know, he uh, he has been around it obviously his whole life. I mean, his first word was ball.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
5: and, uh, he used to, you know, he. Used, he was actually, uh, when I was coaching at Yavapai College, he would be in, they had some baseball nets inside the gym, and uh, we would put him in there in his little cradle, and, you know, so a ball wouldn't hit him, and he would just watch and listen, and, you know, he's been around it his whole life. He really understands basketball, and uh, he's going to be a really excellent coach when it all irons out. So, right, you know, he, he loves the game.
1: Hey coach, when you look at the state of the game, uh, high school through the pro, uh, it's probably changed a lot since you got involved back in the day. But what do you think? As what do you think of the state of the game of basketball?
5: Well, you know, obviously it has evolved a great deal. You know, you know, over the years that it's been played. I mean, it's uh, it's still one of the most beautiful and creative of all sports games. I think. I mean, it's just. Uh, the idea that you're playing offense and defense and the, you know, there's constant movement. And, uh, you know, it, I think, uh, the NBA, you know, over, over the years has added a few gimmicks that have kind of filtered down to the college and high school level, like the three point line and the shot clock. And, um, you know, those have uh, picked up the game quite a bit. You know, I know in coaching these days, uh, um, it seems like the players have begun to overlook the intermediate game. You know, they watch ESPN all the time, and all mm-hmm. they see on the highlight on the highlight films are uh, three point shots and dunks.
3: Mm-hmm. So you
5: know, every kid wants to be a three point shooter and a dunker. <laughs>
3: yeah,
5: exactly. And, you know, we we have to uh, try and help them dwell on the other parts of the game that don't show up on the uh, highlights. So right. you know, but it's a great game. I mean, it's it's, it's you know, there's the athletic skill that's required and the uh, the bat you know the ball skills are just uh, intense so it's a great game and
0: hey, we're talking to coach Sam Ballard, the head coach at Mason Community College, whose overall record is five hundred and four and two fifty eight coach you faced a lot of challenges in your life and obviously you're a great competitor uh, one of the biggest challenges uh, I think recently you found out that you're uh, battling prostate cancer. Tell us how uh, you and your team and your family are uh, taking that on
5: well you know that's been, I'm sure uh you know, you've heard this before. And when you get that diagnosis, that uh, really throws you for a loop. You know, you you hear about it and you read about it, and then all of a sudden, a doctor says you have it, and you know they start they start dwelling in percentages, which you know we do a lot in coaching. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> you know,
5: they start doing they start telling you survival percentages and things like that. I mean, you walk away really, really uh, thinking about your important things you know your family your life uh you know your mortality and uh well so, you know the first the first i'm sure it's the same for everyone the first few weeks it's it's pretty tough you know i it actually i was actually diagnosed a few weeks ago and the season was underway and uh right. when i actually got the diagnosis we had a game that night and oh, I, wow. i'll have to i'll have to admit to you guys that um uh, my I really struggled. I really struggled uh, coaching the game. I told my assistants before the game, and they they did a wonderful job, just a great job of uh, sort of taking it on. And I was there in body, but, you know, my mind wasn't really there. And and the players, you know, the players have just been great, you know, very supportive. And I've gotten, you know, a lot of text messages from them about praying for me and, you know, best wishes and you know that's all been great my family has rallied around me and uh you know that's uh it's all been great you know it's uh and i have a good uh you know a good set of doctors i believe so you know we'll, we'll go to war on this thing
1: absolutely yeah Hey coach, glad to hear, um, that, um, you know, things are starting off with, uh, with the battle with cancer. Well, and we'll definitely keep up with you on that. Um, you talked about the things that are important and that, you know, I, I met you through your daughter, uh, Morgan, who is one of my favorite people, uh, in all the world. And she was kind of following in the footsteps of maybe aunt Barb with, uh, in the, in the sports administration and, uh. All of that stuff, but now you got a you got a new grandson, uh, Lincoln. It, you know his dad is a baseball guy, Brendan Domoroski, who we've had on many times. Is there a battle to put a baseball in his hands or a basketball in his hands? Like who's uh who's the one that's going to win that one?
5: Well, you know me. Uh, first thing we did was buy a hoop. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we we put it in the uh, playroom and we have one outside. You know, of course we're trying to you know get him to pick up the ball, and he has actually. Picked it up, uh, you know, and stuffed it through a little bit. But, of course, his dad now got him a T ball set. So, you know, <laughs> that, that's out in the backyard, too. With, you know, he's got the little bat and the, the ball. And, the, you know, there's a little bit of competition there. We'll see how, <laughs> see how it works out. Hey, we're talking Maybe it'll nice. be like
1: the next Danny Ainge, you know. I mean, Danny Ainge played professional baseball for the Jays and then had a great career at the Celtics.
0: Yeah, there you go. Two-sport athlete. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's happy. It's possible. Hey, we're talking to Sam Ballard here. And coach Ballard, I asked this question earlier we had on uh, Coach Hector Salinas, who had been a college baseball coach for 50 years, and I said, I asked him this question, I'll ask it to you. Looking back now, you've coached 40 years. You have the wisdom to look back on your, your years of coaching and all the things you've gone through. I'm sure there's people driving around listening to our show right now who maybe they want to become a coach or they're aspiring to become a, a coach. What, looking back at your career, what advice would you give to a young man or woman who's thinking about going into that same profession?
5: Well, you know obviously, you have to have a great passion for it because uh financially, most coaches don't make you know a zillion dollars I mean you see obviously the the high end of coaching on t v where the guys are making a, a lot of money and uh but by and large, coaches don't and uh they do actually coach because of the passion for the sport that they have and uh you know and the that's what keeps, that's what sustains them through the tough times is they, they just love it. And, uh, you can't overstate that. You really have to have a passion. You have to have a love for it. You have to understand what it is you're really trying to do. I mean, what what we're really trying to do is teach young people life lessons and that will carry them through life. And those, you can't put a price on those. I mean, I get text messages and emails and, Letters and phone calls from you know over forty years of coaching people, uh, you make you build an unbelievable reservoir of relationships yeah. that you can't you can't hardly get in any other profession. Really, um, you really do impact their lives. And sometimes you know, uh, coaches uh, feel like they're beating their heads on the wall, you know, trying to get things through to guys. But you know, really, sometimes ten or fifteen years later they get a hold of you and say, Coach, you know, that really, that really helped me. It's helped me in what I do you know, with my life now, and, and uh, that makes it all worthwhile. I think you have to, as a young person aspiring to be a coach, that's what you really have to look at. You know, you want to you make a difference in the world, you know, and, and uh, you can't really quantify that with dollars. I
3: mm-hmm.
5: mean, some guys do, but, um, you know, by and large, the hundreds of thousands of coaches that are out there, Do it with great passion, and I think that's, you know, you can't say enough about that.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, I think that's some great words of wisdom. We've interviewed a lot of great coaches uh, here on Docs and Jocks. And and to uh, to a person, you included now, they talk about the relationships that you make, whether it's with your coaching family, with it's with whether it's with your former players, but there's that family relationship uh, part that, that just seems like it's uh, n- unable to put a price on it. So, hey, I want to say thank you, Coach Ballard, for uh, coming on Docs and Jocks. Uh, we really enjoyed our time here, man. Not very often do we get in the same uh, day, you get to talk to a college baseball coach who's been doing it 50 years in a college Uh, basketball coach who's been doing it for 40 so thank you so much for being on
5: that's a lot of years (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is but I I I appreciate it fellas thank you
0: All right, thank you very much hey you've been listening to Docs and Jocks your sports medicine radio show we've been interviewing Coach Sam Ballard with Mesa Community College and his uh, great career over the last 40 years of basketball hey remember you can listen to that interview or any other interview you might have missed by going to our iTunes podcast Docs and Jocks D-O-X-N-J-O-X hey we'll see you on the other side of this short commercial break
2: To Docs and Jocks brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris.
0: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. This is Dr. Dan and Ferris coming to you from inside the Forge Radio Studios here where we're watching a great group of athletic uh, adults and teenagers and everybody working out out here. Man, if you want to find out about a place that might be right for you to work out at, go to the and you can find out if it might be the place for you to work out. It's a small group workout setting with a coach at every visit. It's so awesome. It's so fun. It's got every age group, and it starts you at your level. Remember, the best type of exercise, Ferris, is what? The one you'll do. The one you'll do, man. Ferris and I have talked about this numerous times. We love people exercising because we know it makes you and us better if we do that in all sorts of different ways, whether it's your mood, whether it's your overall well-being, whether it's your strength, whether you're you know, up in years and you're worried about falling, strength and in, in, in sports training, those types of things keep you from doing that and keep you active and able to – continue to play with your kids and continue to play with your grandkids and if you're a young athlete it can make you be able to go to the next level whatever that might be high school college a professional you name it but yeah we'd love to have you be part of the forge ferris does a workout program where he works out i believe still you're still doing the p90x uh, tony horton videos aren't you
1: yeah, I'm kind of moving him around a little bit. I'm not doing exactly his deal. I found the kind of ones I like, but I'm doing the lifting three days a week and yeah. the jumping and the other stuff. I put in some, uh, our friend Mark Sisson, a primal guy, put in some yeah. of the sprinting, you know, go yeah. out and sprint and stuff and run. a It's funny because when people drive by and I'm out in the green belt, you know, you're kind of walking and you just take out a full sprint. They kind of jerk there like, what the heck's going on? You, know? <laughs> you don't see people sprinting very often. Yeah,
0: yeah. But Ferris says uh, recently uh, I've, I've uh, decided to do what he's been doing for a long period of time. He's been doing what's called paleo diet and uh, a primal diet. And I've been listening to a lot of the research on it. And Mark Sisson's one of them. There's several of them out there. And I've read a book about a year ago that uh, kind of inspired me as well. But I, I have tried it, Ferris. And I can say that in my first uh, you know couple of weeks here of starting it, I initially, <clears throat> it's a low-carbohydrate diet for our listening audience. So when you go low-carbohydrate, your body uses carbohydrates as, uh, as a fuel. There's different fuels in your body. There's You know, obviously carbohydrates, which are basically sugars. There are different types of carbohydrates, whether they're simple or complex. Then you have fats. Fats are just stored calories. So, you know, that's what you're doing when you're taking in those extra calories. Your body stores those for those rainy days when you you, uh, need them. And so fat is also one of the things you can burn. So when you lower your carbohydrate intake to a point, you start burning fat more uh, efficiently because you are now able to use that as a source, and I can tell you that initially when I first started doing it, Ferris, and he's been doing it for a long time, and and really one of the reasons I did it, because he's seen such great results with it, is that I felt a little bit uh, like I was bonking, because my body was very much into burning sugar as a fuel, and so I felt initially kind of a wave of tiredness when I was doing my normal workouts, but as I've gone these last couple weeks and really started doing my continual workouts, I feel like my endurance has been Really, maybe at this peak that I've been at in a long period of time, and I really attribute it to the only thing I've done different. I'm doing the exact same workouts I've done for six years, and they're hard, vigorous workouts. They're a functional body workout, a boot camp here at the Coach David Hess writes at the Forge Abilene. And uh, I feel like my endurance has dramatically improved, It's uh, and that's the only thing I've changed. So I try to limit the modifying activities. You know, I'm still getting the same amount of sleep, mm-hmm. still you know, basically doing the same workout, but I've changed my eating, and wow, it's it's really amazing. And that, And you've had that same experience
1: yeah it's weird i've been doing it so long and you know sometimes I get out of it and I go back into it but when i'm really doing it um I feel great i mean i don't i don't i don't ever crave food um I feel like I have good stamina and good energy um and yeah i think it's it works great for me i'm, I'm always reticent to tell yeah. i'm not a doctor I'm, I'm always reticent to tell people oh do this but everybody I've told to do it, and it eventually when they've just, like, we've talked about it for years. And you really right? don't even tell decided. people to
0: do it. Most people that have done it have seen your results, yeah. and they see how you look and how you feel and how you exercise, how you don't crave a lot of sugar, and so they see you. And so really it's been by your example that people have followed you what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably right. And I just tell them, hey, this is what I do. You know, this is how I do it. And um, I, like, I like Mark Sisson, his primal thing. I like the, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people are going real ketogenic, which is even like under 50 grams almost under 30 grams of carbs on a daily basis which is hardly any right um and they lose so much weight so fast and they feel great i mean uh the guy who teaches my daughter trombone big guy played football um he had back problems and he's like i just gotta lose weight he went on the ketogenic diet pretty strong him and his wife for the last year and he's lost 50 pounds and he feels great he looks great his back doesn't hurt as bad i mean i think one of the things that I, I like about it is I've always known and We, I, you know,
0: we've had Jill Lane here, and one of the, my favorite nutritionists of, of all time. <clears throat> and you can find out more about Jill Lane by going to JillLane.com. She's done the Cowboys and I believe the Mavericks and a lot of a lot of different professional players. But uh, she's always like, hey, you know, the cut down on your simple sugars. And so, if if, if nothing mm-hmm. else, yeah. what you're doing is you're cutting out the simple the fructose out of your sodas. You're not drinking a lot of sodas. I'm not drink. I'm not eating dessert at every dinner like I was doing. So Mm -hmm. I don't get the simple sugar low, you know, sugar makes you feel kind of initially gives you a wave of energy and then boom, you hit this low because your insulin goes real high to knock down that sugar in your bloodstream. And so you then almost get low blood sugar after you eat a big, big bunch of sugar, if that makes sense. But I don't get that anymore. So if anything, it kind of plateaus you out during the day and man, who I love eating vegetables. And so a big part of what I do on the uh, primal that you've taught me is to eat both, you know, good, protein and a lot of vegetables so i feel like i've added back in probably getting six to eight more servings than i was doing without doing the primal and i think that's always good when you're getting your most of your carbohydrates that you're eating in a day you're getting them through those good forms where you're getting them both the macronutrients and the phytonutrients and the micronutrients all through good locally grown fresh vegetables and fruits and those kind of things
1: yeah, you know, it's. I mean, the, the the real diet is high high in fat, high in protein, and and minimal carbs. But yeah, almost all your carbs are going to come from vegetables because you're not going to eat a lot of fruit. You're not going to eat any pastries or breads or things like that. You're not going to drink any sugar. So really, if you're getting you know 50 to 100 grams of carbs a day, it's almost all vegetables, and yeah. that's that's great, right? Because uh-huh. it's it's fresh, it's real food. It's it's, it's very fiber. similar. A lot of these things kind of go hand in hand. The guy who wrote the whole big hey, just eat real food. Well, if you just eat real food, you're probably going to be much more, you know, kind of paleo-ish, primal-ish. You know, if you just eat real food, you're going to be better off. But, yeah, this works for me. I like it. My mom did it. She lost, like, 25 pounds, and she feels great, you know. Yeah. Um, And 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 then you just kind of reintroduce things. The fun thing about the studies is a guy named Rob Wolf, he's a paleo guy, and he gets kind of ostracized in the paleo world because he's reintroduced some more carbs into his diet because he took up Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he just got— fanatical about it. So this guy will go and he'll train like three, four hours a day in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he realized different than you, but everybody's different that he was bonking a little bit and needed. So he would start reintroducing like slow release carbs, yeah. you know, that type of thing. Like Tim Ferriss has kind of a sweet a potatoes, slow carb or, diet, yeah, yeah. sweet potatoes, some types of legumes and things like that, which a lot of primal people, paleo people say, Oh, don't eat those. Mark Sisson on primal says, Oh, you can introduce those sometimes. But Rob started doing that. And that he found if he did that early and then went through a steep training, he was better. It, it, yeah. So there's now some research on how does primal and ketogenic work with the athlete? Because yeah. most athletes are like, oh, I got something going on. I need to carb load or I need to have some good carb. Or, I need to make sure <laughs> I have the energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of that research is kind of moving over to the, the athlete now.
0: Yeah. Early in my uh, athletic career as a young adult, uh, I started doing marathons. And I, I'm so this is just so bad. I, mean, I hate to even tell the story about myself. So. First of all, learn from my experience. So the only time I carb-loaded, because I heard you're supposed to carb-load, I heard this talk, so I would carb-load the night before I would do a marathon. My problem was I had never carb-loaded in any of my <laughs> training ever. I didn't need a big bowl of pasta right before I went to bed when I ran my training. So when I did that, the next day, man, I you felt sluggish. <laughs> I felt like I needed to use the restroom the entire race. So That's awesome. don't you do something you hear about. Like, just because you're you know, like, oh, this would give me advantage, and then go out and do it. Always practice it. So the other thing I like, Ferris, is when I listen to a t- uh, Mark Sisson and been reading some of the literature about the athletes who do this program, and it is it really was started because a lot of the ultra-marathoners and marathoners and guys who need to do endurance sports found that when you burn fat, you become a more efficient uh, athlete. So that, that's really so this, the athletic sports medicine part of this. But he also says, you know, if you're going to go out on a day and you're going to work out really hard, and you're going to have a really – you know, knock yourself out, long, hard workout, you know, you might treat yourself to something like a piece of dark chocolate when you get home, you know, kind of a, a little carbs that have some benefit to them that you right. can say, Hey, this day I worked out a little bit harder. I'm going to do it. So that's what you're talking about reintroducing some of those things. So it's not totally, totally stringent. of I've got to have, you know, 50 carbs or less. I'm more focused on how do I feel that day? And that's what you always tell me. Like if, if you yeah. feel good, start reintroducing some of the different things and see how you do that day. And just see if that's the one that's for you. Everybody's different. We're all made uniquely. After doing sports medicine for the last twenty five years, every patient I see is is totally different.
1: Yeah, I, I I when I started doing it, I did it pretty strict like you're doing because I want to see. And um some things I did I missed a little bit. I still I still miss pizza, so I, I still eat pizza every now and again because I love pizza. It's great. You know, you gotta live, right? Yeah, you can't, right. you're not dead yeah. yet, right? So but like like I got done all potatoes. I didn't eat any potatoes or legumes. But I really like to have bacon and eggs and some hash browns, you know? Yeah. And it's not the greatest thing in the world, maybe. But I would, like, slowly reintroduce them and maybe have them, like, once a week as opposed to every time I had bacon and eggs, you know? Right. And I felt okay with them, you know? Whereas you might reintroduce them and go, oh, I don't don't feel that great with them. But you could introduce something else and feel fine, and I don't, you know? Yeah, I like what you
0: said to your mom. Your mom said, so I can never eat ice cream ever again. And you're like, no, mom, you can eat ice cream. Just don't eat ice cream every meal. Don't eat it every night. 't maybe just do a treat like once a month you have a bowl of ice cream or something but just don't do it every night that was very very common sense in my mind
1: yeah I mean I look I, I always get around it by saying hey cream is is the best dairy to drink because it's very high in fat cream and I know ice cream has a bunch of sugar in it but whenever I eat a bowl of ice cream I'm like I'm just having cream I'm just I'm fine this I, I, <laughs> I tell myself it's okay I, I forget the sugar yeah. I just think of the cream
0: yeah fat. So. <laughs> yeah it really reminds me of uh, Mike I grew up uh, going to my grandparents farm and my grandma would always have real butter from the from the cow you know i mean there's yeah. a big glob of butter it didn't come in a bowl or it didn't come in a, a container it was just a glob she had made you know a lot of times hey, made it herself just she always up, yeah. had you know farm fresh Treatable. eggs we had the eggs i knew the chickens cuz i went and collected the eggs so i knew that little dixie had laid this egg for me so we had farm fresh eggs we had bacon from a you know a farmer who had you know had a butchering of a, a of a of a hog and so yeah, it was all this uh, farm-fresh, just straight from – my mom would go out and pick salads. She lived in uh, – they lived in Missouri, and so she would go out and pick salads from just the greens that lived, grew out in the – around uh, our farmhouse there. So dandelions wow. and poke and all this stuff. And so I, that's – I feel like when I'm going back primal, I'm almost going yeah. back to the way my grandma – ate, and she, my grandparents lived to be healthy and lived a long, healthy, great life, so – Well,
1: when I was looking into it and I stumbled upon it, um, I was looking into, like, you know, kind of philosophy about government libertarianism and stuff, and I stumbled onto Mark Sisson. And when he said, on this diet, Primal, you can eat as much bacon and as much butter as you want, (laughs) I was done. I was hooked. I was like, I don't care what the rest of the diet is. If it's unlimited bacon and butter, sign me up.
0: What I like, too, is that it really focuses on you have to have an active lifestyle. It doesn't just stop with a diet. It's saying that, hey, right. you've got to be doing things that are giving you some aerobic ability, some strengthening, things that make your functional body training. And so that's what I feel like when I get the best of the Forge Abilene, uh, Dave Coach David Hess's workouts are exactly that. Man, we're doing crazy stuff with body weight. And today I think we're doing some burpees and renegade rows and just a lot of fun movement-type patterns. And then on top of that, you're eating correctly. So I don't think – I don't like when people just say they're dieting because I feel like that's right. such a poor he- lifestyle. If you're going to be an athlete – and you're just going to diet yourself to being a great athlete, that doesn't work. You've got to eat healthy, and you've got to work out, and you've got to be active in a very f- sports functional pattern that I think that's the whole combination that works for people.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think I think if you just want to lose weight, a diet is probably 80% of losing weight, you know? Yeah. But it doesn't mean you're going to be healthy. We see a lot of skinny people who don't look like they're enjoying life very much, right? right, you right. Know? Um, they don't look like they could go out, and if they had to, you know, save yourself, or go save your kid, or chase down somebody, or whatever. But um, the thing about when I say, you know, Mark says you can, you can, you can eat as much butter and eat as much. It's because when you eat real food, you just can't overeat it. I mean, you, I mean, you, you, you get full, you get satiated. When you eat those 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 carbs out of bags and stuff, you're always hungry. Like five yeah. seconds later, I have when you drink Coke hungry. or whatever with not real sugar, you can drink a ton of it. But when you're when you're drinking coffee or tea or water, you, eventually you're like, I don't want any more. You yeah, That's what I love about watching what you've done is you basically just eat when you're hungry. I'm like,
0: wow, that's a novel concept. I don't have to eat every, you know, all the time. And so sometimes you might eat, you know, two hours after you ate before. And sometimes it might be, you know, eight hours. Sometimes it might be 10. So you, you just eat when you're hungry, which is pretty unique. It's in our busy lifestyle, you know, as Americans, you know, it's, it's just such a different thing to think, well, I'm just going to eat if I'm hungry. I'm not going to eat if, because it's
1: the, the clock struck noon. And it's hard to do in America, right? In other countries, it's not that hard to do because there's not food everywhere. Yeah, right. You know, with us, you go anywhere. There's always food. Like Mm -hmm. I go into any office on a visit. There's food there somewhere. And they're like, hey, you want this? You want this? We just have so much food in America. It's so easy to get. And, yeah, people just eat three or four square a day, but then they graze the entire day, too. So you're eating like... 24-7 almost.
0: Yeah, that's what I felt like I stopped doing too when I started doing this was I was grazing at nighttime because I was suddenly going in. I was drinking a lot of fruit juices. I was drinking, you know, eating a lot of uh, unhealthy stuff at night, high sugary stuff because I felt like I was hungry all the time. And so at night when I'm there by myself and my wife and my son were just watching TV, I just suddenly caught myself eating probably 2,000 calories without even thinking about it, just grazing over an hour or two period of time.
1: Chips, crackers, popcorn, cookies. Yep. All of it. Yeah, and, and you and you and I are the same. If and I mean and it still happens every once in a while. If my wife's like, Oh, I got this little bag of five little jelly filled oh, cookies, yeah. it, they're gone. They're like gone. I can't just eat one. I, I know mean, my wife's like, I, I had a half of one. <laughs> yeah. And I stopped. Yeah, no, I mean the whole bag. Yeah. It ain't so. stopping at a half. Yeah,
0: anyway, you check it out. It's called primal or paleo, but Man, just be a have, find out what works for you. Everybody's different. Make sure you're doing some type of active lifestyle, whether it's here at the forge, Jabbling or wherever you might be. I like Ferris doing videos out of his garage. So, man, great to have you with us today. When we come back, we're going to be talking to a, a professional basketball coach and player, Coach Sam Ballard. We'll be right back with more docs and jocks after this short commercial break. Here
2: we go. To Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilete. Touchdown! Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Doctor Dan and Ferris.
0: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is your Sports Medicine Radio Show. Great to have you with us today. I am joined each week with my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. My name is Doctor Dan, a longtime sports medicine physician. Hey, Ferris, uh, give us a little quick update on Grand Canyon University and what they're doing out there with the uh, basketball program that you've been traveling with
1: lately. Four and one in conference play, uh, only losses to New Mexico State, and uh, playing Utah Valley this weekend. Both teams at four and one, tied for second. Um, the women are doing pretty well; they're three and two in conference, and um, so everything's shooting for conference tournament at the Orleans in Vegas first weekend of March. Win that, you get into the tournament. If you win the regular season though, you get into the NIT. So uh, Lopes hoping to get to the Uh, NCAA tournament for the first time in the history of the program you know they've won national championships in the level but never anything at the uh, division one or even division two level in basketball Um, now baseball went to the college world series division two and some of the other programs you know track and field has been doing great swimming diving those a lot of individual probably have some individual national champions in the next couple years in those but um, so those are going well my favorite sport up there. the baseball stadium. Oh, yeah, the baseball stadium.
0: Yeah, they just did an updated yeah. baseball stadium, yeah.
1: They redid it, and, you know, we weren't sure because they, they kind of name everything, GCU Stadium, GCU Softball Stadium, GCU Soccer Stadium, and we were hoping they wouldn't name it GCU Baseball Stadium, but it's going to be called Brazzle Field at GCU Ballpark.
0: There you go. That's kind of cool. So kept they the kept, old kept name Coach, there, Coach right.
1: Brazel. He's been there for like 90 years. Still comes to every basketball game with his wife. His cane is uh, made in the shape of a baseball bat. A baseball oh, that's bat so cane. cool.
0: That is so cool. Uh,
1: Started the baseball program, and they open against TCU February 17th or 18th. Uh, TCU's coming to town to help open that, uh, yeah. that, that that field. A lot
0: of great college baseball openers getting ready to kick off here. They all happen right in mid-February, so we're about two and a half weeks. College, uh, high school baseball starts here in the state of Texas the last Friday of January, so that's today on, in our radio show. We uh, actually broadcast or air it on Friday, and then it airs again uh, for some of station on Saturday or Sunday, but on Friday – uh, actually, high school baseball starts here. So baseball season really? has arrived. Yes, it has. I've been waiting, waiting, How cold is it there? In Texas, we're uh, in North Texas, we'll be... 30s is the low, 60s, the 70s is a high during a day. Gosh, so
1: I remember going out to practice in Missouri, and that some <laughs> yeah. of those days you're just like, I don't think they're open up not yet. Not feel yeah. like
0: baseball weather. I know exactly, but I love this time of the year when he's kicking off. I love it when pitchers and catchers report. I think we're going to try and get the great Bump Wills on, who we've had on before when uh, catchers and pitchers oh, yeah. report. Former uh, Texas Ranger shortstop, I'm mean, uh, all-time stolen base leader. So I thought we're going to try and get him on as well. But your coach uh, Dan Marley. Uh, who is your head basketball coach out at Grand Canyon University, who's my favorite. Head basketball coach because he was also my favorite NBA player of all time when he played for the Phoenix Suns. And,
1: Thunder Dan, yeah,
0: Thunder Dan. So a lot of fun stuff going on at Grand Canyon University. Hey, we brought you know, him he up
1: he was a he oh was ahead. a two sport athlete. Uh, played baseball yes. and uh, ba- and basketball at Central Michigan. He said he might start Love getting baseball. serious
0: about it uh, basketball when he realized uh, who all came to watch him play. Somebody well, right?
1: they, he got the he got the call that uh, John Thompson was considering him for the Olympic team, and he said, "Oh, maybe I should, Stick maybe with I should focus on basketball. Yeah, leave baseball <laughs> out. Yeah."
0: <laughs> Because he did. He played on one of those dream teams, didn't he? He did go and play for the USA Olympics team. He
1: played on the USA Olympic team that lost. And then oh, that's he? when they said, we're going to put the dream team in so we <laughs> can just kick everybody's hind in. And then he, I think he did end up playing on he one, of, play the on one of those. play on one of those, yeah. Hey, we mentioned this
0: right before we had our interview with Coach Sam Ballard on our last segment. But Hall of Fame inductees to the Baseball Hall of Fame this year are Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, and Jim Tomey, Chipper Jones, was with the Atlanta Braves with a great third baseman, great glove, one of the best switch hitters of all time. He'd be up there with the Mickey Mantle, uh, greatest switch hitter of all time. Vladimir Guerrero, a guy who never saw a pitch he didn't like to hit. He oh, actually man. swung and hit a baseball for a base hit on a ball that bounced. That's one of his claims of fame. Uh, Trevor Hoffman is a, the greatest closer of all time uh, in that, in the top three, probably with Mariano Rivera and probably, I don't know, maybe Bruce Suter. Anyway, that, there's, a, there's a small Raleigh group fingers,
1: of Fingers, Eckersley, Suter, yeah. all those, you all those know, guys. old-time
0: guys. Jim Tomey, uh, one of the uh, greatest prolific home run hitters, 600-plus home runs Jim Tomey had, uh, played a lot of his career with the Indians. I think he ended up being with He was with a lot of teams. He was with the Phillies, oh, Indians, white, white, Sox, white Sox, too. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he, made,
1: yeah, he, made he made the, the rounds.
0: rounds. Hey, so uh, tell us your Chipper Jones story, Ferris. When you were being a sports broadcaster out with the uh, Arizona Fall League, tell us the uh, Chipper Jones story that you had with Grady
2: Little.
1: So there's a fall league. Uh, that's a league that plays in October in Arizona, and it's every team's supposed to send their five top prospects, right? And it was a brainchild of Major League Baseball back in the early 90s because, you know, it's winter ball. Everybody goes overseas, and they thought, well, we don't want to send – we got investments in these guys. We don't want to send them to, like, you know, Venezuela and all these places. Let's do it here. Great idea, right? So they started in 1992, and I was – they had two, like, front office guys for each team, and I was a general manager. Of the um, the Grand Canyon Rafters playing at Grand Canyon instead of playing at at, at uh, Tempe Diablo because they're rehabbing that. So we had five teams, and they had a coach and a hitting coach and a pitching coach. Our hit our coach was Grady Little, for the who Sox. at that time was yeah. AAA for the Braves, Richmond team. Now later on, he went on to coach the Red Sox to within what a couple of outs of going to the yes. World Series, yes, and then yes. he left <laughs> Pedro Martinez in too long, and they <laughs> yeah. they crucified him and fired him later. And I Terry Frank Leonard lost to, to the Yankees, him. yeah. Yeah, because he left Pedro in too long, and Pedro didn't help him out because when Pedro got out and they interviewed him, he said, yeah, I was gassed. I should have come out. Oh, thanks. <laughs>
0: thanks yeah.
1: um, but Francona was a hitting coach. So I was in there in there talking to my coaches one time doing some stuff, and I just said, so, Grady, are these – you had Mike Kelly. You had uh, Ryan Klesko was down there. I go, are these your best prospects? And he said, oh, no. He said, our best kid is a switch-hitting shortstop we got out of California, but he's has play, been playing baseball straight for two and a half years he begged us to let him come here, but we told him no, you're gonna take the, the winter off. He's he's the best he's the best player I've ever seen. He's a future Hall of Famer. His name's uh, Chipper Jones.
0: Did Grady Little ever hit that on the head, man? Hit that. Nailed down. Nail that. that was nineteen ninety two. Yeah, he got a really high percentage too. I think it was eighty seven percent of the sports writers put in Chipper Jones. And there's a group yeah. of them that say, I'm not gonna vote a first time ballot for anybody, you know. So there's that group. So that's probably that ten percent he didn't get because Chipper Jones Jones on the numbers was just amazing switch hitter. The stuff that he could do uh and then i thought an interesting story i heard this morning actually uh, our good friends al pickett and david bacon who've been on the show uh, when you've had a travel fair so during your broadcasting they filled in for you before but they were talking about this but trevor hoffman uh was teammates with a player uh, from abilene named jason marshall jason marshall was on the cooper high school team that won state in 87 and 88 and then he went on and played i believe it was for texas i may have that wrong i can't remember it was texas or a and m but had a great college career, too, and then gets drafted and goes and plays. Well, one of these summer league teams, or the, the one of the very first minor league teams that he played on, Trevor Hoffman was on the roster with him. Well, you think Trevor Hoffman you knows 600 saves in the big leagues. He's probably an outstanding pitcher. No, he was a third-string catcher on the team. Wow! So someone along the way said, hey, Trevor, this catching thing isn't working out, but you got a rocket of an arm. Let's put you up on the mound and see what you can do. And then there you go. That's the rest, 600 career saves.
1: Yeah, no, he was and he did it all with a changeup too, which is yes. funny. Like his changeup was just yeah. ridiculous. It yeah. was coming. Yeah. It's like the guy who's gonna go in next year, Rivera, you know, with the cut fast. You know it's coming. Yeah. That's all he throws. You just can't yeah. hit it. Yeah. For whatever reason. Hey, Chipper, actually I thought I couldn't remember he got ninety seven point two percent of the vote. Oh, it's ninety seven. I was thinking it was eighty seven. Ninety seven point yeah, two, yeah. Crazy or what? It's one of the highest of all time.
0: I think Ty Cobb's actually the highest of all time, maybe. Now,
1: what do you think of this? When you when I say Vladimir Guerrero, what team do you automatically think of? I think he on the Angels. Okay, I think of him on the Expos. Yeah. But a lot of he's gonna do. go and wear an This is a debate we always have with baseball more than the other sport. What hat do you wear? Yeah. And he's gonna wear an Angels hat. He was an he expo a lot full, longer. He's gonna be the first Angel in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was hard to believe. I was gonna ask you that
0: question. Who's the other angel? There is no other angel in the Hall of Fame, which is absolutely mind boggling. It could have been Nolan Ryan. But Nolan Ryan chose to go into the Texas Ranger. He's a Texan. Yeah. He's a Texas Ranger. So he could have chosen the Angels. But yeah, the very first one to go in as an Angel. They, the Angels have had Hall of Famers on their team like Rod Carew, but they didn't choose to go in as an Angel. So that's the difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because when you think Rod Carew, you remember the Angels, but you think the Twins, the twins. probably, you yeah, know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. But, and then uh, you and I were having this uh, discussion. Jim Tomey, I didn't really think he was an automatic first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know. But he had 600 home runs. But he was he was a guy that just you and I went back and forth on this. I'm like, I don't know. You know, when I first heard the name Jim Tomey, I think lots of home runs, very likable guy. I think part of the reason he gets yep. in on first ballot is because the media liked him so much. He was a very congenial guy, very good interview, said what he thought, but wasn't really a, a in-your-face kind of guy. So I think that really helped him. Uh, get in for sure yeah what i remember about yeah, vladimir guerrero, he was a texas ranger killer by the way vladimir guerrero killed the rangers
1: oh yeah no yeah, yeah. and he yeah. i love how you assessed him they, they you know the the baseball parlance is a bad ball hitter but he hit him i mean if, if they probably they probably could break down how many hits he got off bad balls and i'd better be at least half yeah like, things in a shoulder level way outside yeah on the dirt he that guy could just rake, man. so
0: It was so funny last night. I was watching the uh, Major League Baseball Network, and they were they had these four guys, the inductees, they'd just been inducted, and they had them all come in to talk on the Major League Baseball Network. And they have a little field there called uh, I think it's like Field Forty Two or something like that. You know, it's Jackie Robinson's field, but it's a little miniature field. And so they play wiffle ball out there. They get these little balls out there. They're like yeah. Oh. So Trevor Hoffman gets out on the mound, and Vladimir Guerrero is the first guy to come up. Trevor Hoffman's throwing BP to him, and they're seeing if they can take him yard and. Vladimir Guerrero takes the first pitch. I thought it was so funny. Trevor Hoffman goes, now you decide to take a pitch after all these years? Now you decide to take a pitch? <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because the dude swung at everything.
1: You know me, man. My, my, my whole test with any Hall of Fame is when you say the name, what's my first thought? Yeah. And, and I think for me, Trevor Hoffman, Chipper Jones, and, and, um, and uh, Vlad, I think Hall of Fame. For Tomei, I don't just because I'm like you. He's a really, really good hitter who hit a lot of home runs yeah. and a great guy. But I'm just I I'm the same way with Mike Mussina. But when you look at his numbers, you can say, hey, Mussina, compared to others, he should be in the hall. But I think of Mike Mussina as he's a really, really good pitcher. I'd love to have him on my team in those days. But if I'm in the seventh game of a World Series, he's way down on the list of guys I want to start that game.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so there's other ways to look at it, but yeah, Tommy. With me, I'm I'm glad he got in because I like the guy and he's a great guy and he's a great ambassador. So I'm just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. But I I don't necessarily think that when I think of him.
0: Yeah, I put I put Jim Tomy in there with like a Fred McGriff, really really good ball player, definitely probably has the numbers to be in the Hall of Fame, but was during his time frame he wasn't the the number one player playing at that time. I mean. Tommy is playing. I mean, you got to say Ken Griffey when Tommy's playing was better. I mean, oh yeah. There's so many guys I would I put i put him down on the list in the bottom of the five of my top 10 in the league at that time. Maybe
1: even lower than that. I, I guess it's this way though. He had over 600 home runs. How many guys in the yeah, history of the yeah. game have hit over 600 home runs? Played
0: like 19 years. Yes, yeah, 600 home runs. There's nine guys
1: and, yeah. in the history of the game.
0: Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I mean, so
1: now that I read that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you got yeah. it. I mean, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's hard not to put him in.
0: Hey, uh, here's a, some little tennis news. We don't get tennis news very often. Rick Myers, my good friend, who's my tennis go-to guy, will be, be glad that we uh, talk about
1: this. you got to get Rick on again. He's We awesome.
0: do. Huan Chang, Chung is his name, actually Chung. Yep, he
1: absolutely. retired
0: in the second, uh, um, uh, I guess it would be match, to Roger Federer in the Australian Open due to a blister. So in the 14 years that Federer's, he's 14 years younger than Federer, he was down 6-1 and 5-2 to Federer, and he just quit because of a blister. And Federer, who's been playing for all these years, has never retired for a single match due to an injury. Ferris, he has played and completed 1,338 tennis matches, never bowing out due to an injury or a blister or anything like that. Basically, Federer, Roger Federer is basically the Cal Ripken of tennis. Remember, Cal Ripken set the all-time record beating Lou Gehrig for the most games played. Federer, <laughs> a Federer tweeted, I'm not really quite sure of the tweet, but he tweeted after... His uh, competitor Chung bowed out due to a blister. He said, uh, Make me a superhero, quote. And so he <laughs> tweeted, I don't know. He said, He sent that out to his 11.3 million followers after Chung quit the match. Make me a superhero. So, yeah, he is. That's has, awesome. Yeah, he has okay. never bowed out, ever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think Chung, I think you got to suck up the blister. I don't know. There's got to be a band aid big enough or moleskin or something. You can just get through the match. You're already getting beat 6 1 5 2. So just get, just get skunked to last one. Go out 6-0 with your blister and, and take it like a man and move on. Don't
1: quit. It, it's Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, obviously the kid's a great player to get to that level, to even be in a match with Roger Federer. And to get to that level, you've had to go through so much stuff and yeah. be such a s- strong-minded person. It's amazing that he quit. Because yeah. when I hear that, I go, yeah, I'm sure it really hurt, but I bet you've gutted through I bet if you were up six one five two, you would have gutted through oh, that thing, Oh, you right? would have gutted
0: through it, absolutely. So to
1: yeah. me, I'm like, well, that's just a weakness in you, yeah. you know, Yeah. which absolutely. is odd. So.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. I totally agree with you. Hey, Bleacher Report now has reportedly said that Kyrie Irving has threatened to have his knee surgery if the calves didn't trade him. In other words, he said, if you don't trade me and get rid of me, calves, I'm going to have my knee surgery at the start of this season so that I will sit out the entire season. You won't have me. Remember, he had patellar fracture, and then he had a so he fractured his kneecap, and then he was going to clean out the knee? And so uh, he basically said, if you don't trade me, I'll have that surgery during the season. Now he's at the Celtics and he's doing really well. He's thinking about doing it in the offseason. What do you think about holding out medical injuries as a way of getting your way in the NBA? I, you- I don't like it. I, I don't mean, like it at all.
1: I mean, your first, I mean, whatever, he can do whatever he wants. But yeah, it makes you, it, you always the NBA guys. They're they're the number one of the four majors where you go bunch of spoiled brats like every (laughs) time right i mean it's every time here's here's a bunch of
0: spoiled brats man they're getting ready to have another dream team in the nba lebron picks his all-star team lebron is going to be on there with kevin durant anthony davis DeMarcus Cousins, and Kyrie Irving. That's going to be a good team to watch in the uh, All-Star game this year, for
1: sure. It's going to be fun because LeBron's going to tell all those other guys, don't pass to Kyrie. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Hey, man, we really appreciated having you on the show this week, man. It's been a great show. We want to say thank you to Coach Salinas and Coach Ballard, our two great guests, one of 50 years of baseball experience of coaching and the other with 40. So I want to say thank you to all those guys. If you ever miss an interview like the ones with Coach Ballard or Coach Salinas, you can go back and listen to those on iTunes, on our Docs and Jocks podcast, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, I want to say thank you to all our listeners for making that One of the fastest growing iTunes podcasts out there. So all that and more uh, that we next week, we'll have some great guests again. And uh, we really appreciate you being on with us. Also, uh, if you want to listen to us or follow us on social media, you can do that by going to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at docs and jocks, D O X N J O X from all of us here, myself, Dr. Dan, as well as Ferris. We'll see you next week on your sports medicine radio show, docs and jocks.